Overdrive. Hello and welcome to Overdrive, a program about cars and transport. I'm David Brown, and in this program we look at news stories including Tesla outsells Mercedes-Benz in the US for the first time. We have a few reflections on Kia's seven-year warranty. It's only been around for four years, but what has been the impact? We continue extracts from an interview with Dr Max Lay about the history of transport, and Brian Smith, Errol Smith and I cast a gleeful eye over the unusual motoring stories of the day, including a monkey driving a bus and a couple getting married at 70 miles per hour. You can find more information at drivenmedia.com.au or you can podcast previous programs on iTunes. So here we go with the news. German premium car brand Audi, a division of Volkswagen, says that it has been fined 800 million euros or about 1.3 billion Australian dollars for violations tied to polluting six and eight cylinder diesel engines. Audi said that the fine will significantly affect its 2018 financial forecasts. Parent Volkswagen warned its earnings would also be affected. Audi says that it accepts the fine and will not lodge an appeal. By doing so, it said it admits its responsibility for the deviations from regulatory requirements. The Volkswagen Group was fined €1 billion in June for developing and selling polluting four-cylinder engines. At the time, prosecutors said they were examining whether to impose similar fines on Audi. Chrysler remains absolutely committed to selling cars in Australia despite a decision to cease operating in New Zealand. Chrysler and Dodge have stopped selling vehicles in New Zealand as a result of a decision taken by importer Ateco Automotive. The importer is understood to have stopped selling Chrysler and Dodge vehicles because of a lack of commitment to right-hand drive product from Detroit. Chrysler still offers the 300 sedan as part of its factory-owned operations in Australia. As previously reported by Overdrive, New South Wales Police have selected the V8-powered 300 SRT as a replacement for locally built highway patrol cars, serving alongside BMW's 530D police pack. The highway patrol are still waiting to receive the Chrysler in operational numbers. A spokesman for Chrysler said the police deal was still in place, insisting production is on schedule and everything is good to go. Respected industry journal Automotive News reported in September that 2019 will be the last year for Chrysler 300 production. Homeless and disadvantaged Victorians can now travel for free on public transport under an Andrews government trial. The year-long trial will offer weekly and monthly passes to vulnerable people to keep them from becoming entangled in the criminal justice system due to fair evasion. Emergency relief groups will be provided with the new weekly and monthly passes at substantially discounted rates, but there will be no cost to the individuals who use them. The trial will begin immediately. Tesla outsold Mercedes-Benz for the first time in the United States last quarter. Atherton Research says Elon Musk's car company sold nearly 70,000 cars, while Mercedes-Benz sold 66,000 vehicles. According to a motoring analyst, Tesla is on the right path to overtake BMW in the final quarter. 
BMW sold 71,000 vehicles in the US in Q3. And now Tesla is rallying customers with a tax break. The carmaker said orders for cars placed by October the 15th will be eligible for a full federal tax credit of $7,500 and that those cars will be delivered by the end of the year. A further rush of orders could drag down Tesla's already strained production and delivery chain. Many customers have been waiting for their Model 3 sedan since early 2016. Vehicles have piled up in lots around California, awaiting transport, and CEO Elon Musk last month said that Tesla had moved from production hell to delivery logistics hell. The Israeli government recently announced that by 2030, vehicles that run on gasoline or diesel fuel will no longer be available in the country. This follows similar decisions in the UK, France, Norway and Holland. The country plans to replace internal combustion cars with electrics and to replace gas and diesel trucks with natural gas. Israel has both greater incentive and easier ability than many countries to execute such a plan. It's geographically small and it sits in the political volatile Middle East without its own oil and surrounded by adversaries who control much of the world's supplies. The country plans to reduce taxes on electric cars to almost zero and recently funded the installation of 2,000 charging stations. Ford is exploring the possibility of a world without traffic lights, junctions and intersections thanks to connected vehicle technology that would be able to organise cars for free-flowing traffic. In the UK, Ford is trialling Intersection Priority Management, or IPM, that employs vehicle-to-vehicle communication to coordinate vehicles approaching the intersection with a suggested optimum speed to enable cars to perfectly pass each other without the need for stopping. The technology takes inspiration from how pedestrians adjust their speed to negotiate busy crowds and avoid collisions with others crossing their path. Not only would it avoid unnecessary stop-start journeys, it would also speed up travel times, emergency response times and increase safety at junctions. And that has been the news. Kia started their seven-year warranty on new cars in 2014. The result in new car sales are quite apparent, with Kia being in seventh position in the sales charts this year, barely one-third of one percent behind Holden. The upward trend is continuing for the month of September. They surpassed Holden by over seven percent. Kia says the seven-year warranty has given buyers permission in their own minds to consider the product. In the past, they may have dismissed it as being cheap, but with only basic quality. Overdrive recently caught up with Damien Meredith, the Chief Operating Officer of Kia Australia. He hasn't yet seen any indication of people owning cars longer because of the warranty, but he feels, however, that it gives owners a peace of mind while they have the vehicle. Kia has seen the resale value of their vehicles rise, not surprisingly, as you can sell your car after three years of ownership and it still has a longer warranty than some new cars on the market. We recorded some comments with Damien in a rather crowded environment. Did Kia's move put pressure on other manufacturers? I think it's put pressure on the other brands to lift their warranties and uh, I think that's good for the industry, it's good for customers. The extended warranty may provide an opportunity for greater profitability more than from just selling more cars. 
when a company enters a market, initially based on very competitive prices, they often find that they have to use discounts and special packages in order to continue to entice customers. Pricing strategy with our passenger cars is, was, aggressive and remains so, but we haven't done anything dramatic with Sportage, Optima, Sorento. Customers understand exactly what they have to pay for our cars, what they're looking for, an SUV or whatever, so that consistency has helped us also. Years ago, Hyundai was selling their XL for a long time, starting at $12,990. They then jumped to $14,990, but later they implemented a $2,000 cashback offer. This certainly kept them in the public mind, but not for the right reasons. You might accept the prices go up, but if you buy a car and then they reduce the price, then the manufacturer is going to struggle to make or keep the friendship going. Damien politely agreed and suggested that customers would get confused. That yo-yo pricing, to me, it doesn't work because at no. some stage you're going to confuse the consumer, you confuse the people on the showroom floor, people selling. One suggestion was that the customers might experience an emotion a little stronger than simple confusion. And that was Damien Meredith, the Chief Operating Officer from Kia. You're listening to Overdrive. A few weeks ago, we had the first instalment of an interview with Dr. Max Lay about the history of transport, especially the innovations of the 19th century. This week, Dr. Lay talks about how shipping became critical and how a blind man walking through unknown areas was quicker than a horse and carriage. The thing that was happening probably from the 1600s on, of course, was shipping. The thing about shipping was it wasn't quick, but it carried load. We often think about just moving people at speed, yet carrying load is one of the key transport parameters. And the great thing about the ship is you can put as much load as you like on it, it just sinks a bit deep in the water. So provided you make the sides of the ship high enough, it's got no load limits. Mm. And the difficulty with the ship is if you've if you, if you got a deep sea port, that's fine, you can load and unload. And, and the fact that, one of the examples from the 19th century, it was taking as long, to, and, and the big industry in England at the beginning of the 19th century was the cotton industry. Mm. They were bringing cotton from uh, the new colonies in America to Liverpool mainly. It was taking as long to get the cotton from, Liver, from the docks near Liverpool to the cotton mills in Manchester, which is 10 miles or something, as it took to get them across the Atlantic. Good. So the ships were travelling, the ships, ships didn't go much faster than walking space, but they at least moved. And so that, that was the, one of the big motivations for the first railways, was to get the, move the cotton from the ports, the deep sea ports, to the, the, the cotton mills. That chain is as strong as its weakest link. Yes. yes. And, and so that would have pushed land transport and I think you talked about that in terms of coal and and it made the coal cheaper. The whole business was very incestuous as well. I mean because it had shipping it was a great trade boom and the Brits were different to the rest of Europe because uh, their government they had a new new centre government who were very laissez-faire and they said you know as long as you make a profit who cares you know whereas the French had got very regulated with, with the revolution and Napoleon and 
stuff. And the British just said, oh, effectively said free trade, you know, make a buck and, and we'll give you a knighthood sort of thing. And then uh, the Brits were selling, they invented the steam, the steam motor and, and the steam engine and those things were also being exported, sort of exporting steam, steam ships and steam engines and it was all, the first half of the 19th century was a British trade victory after Waterloo and then they, they won on land, then they won the mm. trade victories. I think the British East India Company was known as the Honourable Brits, right. but not because of how they acted, but because they had royal assent. Oh, yes, uh, royal, effectively royal ownership. Uh, and the whole of the Thames, I mean, the, you go to, in, now in London, down the, the, the East, London and the dock area, the Docklands area of London used to be the the India Company, West India East India Company's docks that they built themselves, you know. Mm. And they built so the ships could sail up the Thames and unload and unload in the middle of London. They moved from trade to territory, yeah. though, didn't they? They they became so big they became they began to believe their own publicity, I, I oh, suppose. They were very successful at it. Yeah. 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 But now the interesting thing is that it is what you can carry. I mean, the human form. You have a, a lovely point there that actually it's not bad in long distance, not quick, but it can travel perhaps longer distances than many animals. Anything, no, nothing can outdo the human over. And I've got an example in the book of travelling from St Petersburg to to Paris, and a footman, a footman just running at modest pace. And just keep going forever. Whereas a horse you know, does one stage, and then you've got to change horses. And if I was, I compare a single horse with a single person. The person will always get there first over a long distance. <laughs> and the Brits had people. The footman, the original British footman, was a uh, usually an Irishman who was hired to take messages around the country on foot. You had a story of a blind man who. Oh, one of the other road inventors was. Uh, one of Mac McAdams' predecessors was a man called John Met Jack Metcalf, who was blind, and he knew about putting broken stones down, and he also knew how to get across swamps by putting branches in the swamps and floating the road across the swamp. And and his his local member was a man called Colonel Little, I think, and he was at Nairsborough. Nairsborough's oh, up near um, your. Leads. They're quite a big long trip on foot, uh, a week's trip on foot. I forget the exact data, but Metcalf and, and Little both gave a presentation at the House of Parliament, and Little said, Would you like to back, ride back in my coach? And Metcalf, who was blind, had never been to London before, said, No, I'll, I'll walk back. And he got back three days before the coach because the coach got in swamped and caught in bogs. And, Make mm. out just ask people where, how do I get to Nairsville or Leeds and, and <laughs> push in the right direction. And that was Dr. Max Lay, who has just published a book titled The Harnessing of Power Transport in the 19th Century. You're listening to Overdrive. And here we are back again, and let's talk some quirky news. How good it is to be joined once again by Errol Smith. Good day, Errol. G'day, David. And Brian Smith. G'day, Brian. G'day, David. Brian, you have a story for us. I do, David. It's a bit of an interesting story. Uh, it's a bus story, which is probably why I've got it. Um, 
a video in Kanakata in India showed, apparently showed, a uh, an Indian bus driver permitting a monkey, a real monkey, to drive um, his bus with something like 30 passengers uh, on on board. Um, he was suspended. The company suspended the uh, the bus driver for permitting the um, the monkey to do this. I thought you were going to say they suspended the monkey. Suspended the monkey. No, I believe they may have employed the monkey and suspended the... <laughs> The bus driver. Have you watched the video at all? Yes. I, I had to watch it. The, the monkey's not driving that bus. This is the annoying yeah. thing for me. Yeah, it's, it's just sitting on the steering wheel. Yeah, it's a total exaggeration, this a story. A human is driving the bus. So I, I'm going to start a, a movement to reinstate the driver because clearly uh, Mr. Prakash uh, has been uh, uh, unfairly dismissed, I think. Um, mm. the, the monkey's played some kind of trick on him or uh, has, uh, has set him up in some way, I think. So I thought they might have realised the monkey was driving when he was using the blinkers properly. <laughs> <laughs> so I suppose the monkey performs the role of like an airbag. Except an airbag that bites and scratches. I, I'm not sure that you'd, <laughs> you'd really want that thing sitting in front of you if there was a crash. That's a Takata airbag. <laughs> <laughs> a recall. As an expo- explosive rage. <laughs> they, had, they take it away and they hand you back a lamb or something. <laughs> they would, I guess, totally ruin the road rage thing of someone yelling at you, you know, what are you, a monkey, if it was in fact a monkey. Mm. Well, he also ups the ante too because he could fling his own feces rather than <laughs> just making sort of hand movements. <laughs> All right. Now, Errol, you have a more story of wedded bliss. David, if you're a big enough fan of a particular maker car, you might even be a member of the local car club. But if you're really fanatical, you might even want to get married in your car. We've discussed people who might want to marry their car, but that's not this story. Samantha and John are both members of the Porsche Club of America and are having their wedding in the back of a Cayenne while it goes around a test track at 70 miles an hour, or over 112 k's an hour, because they can, I suppose. It means it's all over very quickly, I suppose, if you're doing 70 miles an hour. Well, apparently this is, this is basically a, a circle, uh, this test track, so they can keep the speed going. Mm. So it's a little bit like, you know, the movie Speed, where they can't let the bus drop below a, <laughs> a certain speed or it blows up. <laughs> They can't let the Porsche drop below a certain speed or they That's can't right. get That's right. It's got to do, what, 110 kph the whole way, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. During the event. Now, it, it could be a bit of a challenge for the audience of the wedding to to stay up, with, to keep up with the car and watch the ceremony. What if you, you went to the wedding in an old car? Does that mean you can't participate? Everyone's got to follow behind, perhaps. Well, follow behind, or if you're in the poorer part, not the elite people, you get to go in the stands, right, and cheer from there. When they get that bit, to the bit where they say, you know, is there anyone here uh, who who objects? I I guess you'd you'd have to toot your horn or something or flash your headlights. (laughs) You'd wave the black flag. Ah, yeah. (laughs) Send out the track car. Brian, you were saying that you were worried by this. I can't think why. I was, mainly because they say that they're Porsche fanatics and they're getting married in a Cayenne. Wouldn't that be the worst possible choice of Porsche <laughs> if you're a Porsche aficionado? Yeah, 
yeah. to be yeah. married I mean, in. This is like I mean, like the but, Porsche equivalent of just rocking up to the registry office. <laughs> you really don't want those photos from that wedding, <laughs> do you? No. Well, Maybe you ask for them to be Photoshop. Can you? Can you? Can, can you Photoshop us into a nine eleven? That's right. Cut the vehicle out. Put me into something nicer. <laughs> Make sure you keep the wedding car out of it, which is... Do the best man and the bride's grooms, uh, bridesmaids, follow in another car? Yeah, in separate vehicles, perhaps. Mm. Yeah. And is it a Volkswagen? Surely then the Porsche must be the elite car, if only by brand name. Maybe the others follow. Um, um, What about the poor little page boy and page girl? (laughs) They're throwing... They're throwing flower petals out of the sunroof of a car in front. Oh, or pedalling <laughs> frantically on a tricycle. <laughs> and apparently you can, you can have the budget version of this wedding, but it happens in a Volkswagen Touareg. Yes. <laughs> Our son is getting married, and he's getting married out in the country on a farm, which is set up for this sort of thing. So I'm going to take a wedding car there. It's a Ram 1500 Ute. <laughs> Perfect. Yep. <laughs> Among other things, I've got to transport stuff out there, pick up the keg. Keg. I've got to take so much room, I needed a ute. But, of course, I wanted a ute where I can take the family down in, so I will get the 1500. Uh, But uh, I I asked them for that, and they sent back and said, yes, that will be fine. And, by the way, we've we've got you a white one. I thought, how nice. Oh, lovely. Of course, you, you you wouldn't just carry the carry a keg in that thing. You'd carry the entire bar. <laughs> yes, I think I'll back it up. Yeah, just just use it as the as the bar completely. Yes, indeed. Yes, yes, yes. So well, maybe maybe the woman in our next story had uh, got got into some of that first. Brian, would you like to relate that? Indeed, it's an interesting story about a, a woman riding a bicycle uh, in Alameda, California. Oh, sorry, Wisconsin. I'm, I've given you a, the, the raw, a bum steer. Uh, Wisconsin has a, a raising bridge uh, on uh, Racine Street in Menasha in Wisconsin, and uh, a 37-year-old woman riding a bicycle manoeuvred around the flashing barriers um, and, and in the video, you can see her sort of crash into one as she goes around. I think she has, uh, as the Irish say, had drink taken. Um, <laughs> as, as she goes around the barrier and the, the bridge is raising and she kind of rides diagonally towards the rising section of the bridge and immediately plummets down the hole between the, the sort of fixed road pavement and the bit that's, that's missing. Um, she wasn't crushed. Uh, they managed to stop the bridge rising and people ran out and pulled her out. Uh, she sustained some minor facial injuries, but she was cited um, for failure to obey a traffic signal. But, uh, yes, I, I, it's quite an interesting thing to watch. She appears to be a little unsteady on her wheels. <laughs> if, mm. if she's not affected by alcohol, I think she should, could claim insanity. Couldn't she not? Yes. Yes. There there is a picture here of her starting to ride up there and and appearing almost to fall off. It's it's like evil Knievel stalling before he he does the huge jump, doesn't he? Mm. He, Mm. Well, well, I was was thinking more of Wiley Coyote that sort of (laughs) she's sort of suspended in air for a moment before she (laughs) realizes that the bridge isn't there and she falls. It's um it's lucky that the boom gates she went around were on a raising bridge and not a railway line. Yes. I think she didn't seem to pay any attention to the, the flashing lights. 
No, no, indeed. Uh, jumping bridges, of course, has been not so much bridges, but certainly jumping has been the thing of the daredevil. But jumping bridges is be, has been an aspect of our motoring. On the 30th of December 1952, Albert Gunter was a bus driver on route number 78 and he was driving over the Tower Bridge towards uh, London's Shoreditch. Uh, when, to his utter surprise, the road in front of him seemed to drop away. He had driven and the bridge was starting to open. And so he had the choice of trying to stop, but what he did was he slammed his foot down on the accelerator and jumped the bus over the bus. Obviously it wasn't. Yes, he made it. Now, it wasn't fully Mm. opened, of course, but it had started to. And he reached the other side. And for his act of bravery and quick thinking, he was awarded a day off work and £10 as a reward. <laughs> I, think, I think he'd seen one of the final scenes in the movie Speed that we mentioned earlier, <laughs> where, where the bus just jump, magically jumps over the gap in the... Well, it was 1952. He probably was the one who gave the idea for the movie yes. Speed. Yeah. Yes, you could, you could well be right. Now, Miss May Walshaw was on the bus, but uh, it uh, traumatised her so severely that it took her a couple of weeks to get used to it. But then, in two weeks later, she... Uh, I think it took more than two weeks, she had to get the overcome her fear and so she went across the bridge with albert driving the bus the same driver oh it gets gets even better two weeks after that she was married not to albert he was already married i believe but albert gunter was her best man oh that's lovely bonded shared experience Apparently, yes. Yeah. I'm not sure if they had they a bus. They traumatised. Not a Very traumatised if the bus driver was the best man. <laughs> it's that therapy of you've got to live your day, your, your worst, worst dream. Front well, well you, know, you, you know that he wouldn't be late because you know that he'll do anything <laughs> to get there on time. So he's got to look at him in all the wedding photos then from then on, though. Yes. Be reminded of the, of the bridge. I don't think she thought it through. Yes, just 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 before they 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 said, you know, I do. He said, you know, tickets, please. <laughs> yes, the wedding car was a double decker. Yeah, perhaps. All right, gentlemen. Always good to talk. Thanks again for your time. Thank you, David. See you, David. That's Errol Smith and Brian Smith talking some quirky news here on Overdrive. And this has been Overdrive. My thanks to David Campbell, Brian Smith, Errol Smith, Damien Meredith, Dr Max Lay, Chris Neville and Paul Just for their great help during the program. Overdrive can be heard across Australia on the Community Radio Network. For more information, go to drivenmedia.com.au or podcast previous programs on iTunes. I'm David Brown. Thanks for listening.